good morning. Hi. Howdy. Howdy, 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 howdy. Hey. Wow. Lively bunch this morning. I like it. Glad to be with you. Got a question for you. Have you ever not wanted to do something or be somewhere? Maybe you had to Maybe you knew you needed to do something or you needed to, you needed to go somewhere. You had something on your schedule and you didn't want to do the thing that is on your calendar. But after doing it, you were glad that you did. Anyone? Anyone? Yeah. Yeah, I, I experienced that feeling on a perpetual basis. We don't really do New Year's resolutions in our house, but but we have been like uh, eating healthier and exercising more. I had a professor uh, in seminary actually for a class on spiritual formation that actually started talking about like the physical and once said uh, the key to being a little bit healthier is to eat better and move more. And he emphasized in the class, he said, that means do not hear, like, eat less, but eat better. And I say that because yesterday at about, I don't know, 3 o'clock, I was feeling really tired, and I really, really all of a sudden wanted Skyline, which is normal for me as a Cincinnatian. But see, Angie had made this good rice and shrimp, like healthy stuff, and we were on day three of eating it. And it was still good. And I was trying to get out of it. If you can't see. But she is good. And so she didn't let me get out of it. And after eating the healthy option, I was glad that I did. I still want Skyline, but that's beside the point. <laughs> Many of you probably can relate to this feeling uh, on some funny like feel. I can tell you where my, my personal... Like, where this has really shown up for me a lot. I think I've told you before, I register as an introvert. I know to some that that might be surprising because I get up and I talk in front of people. And I actually do love people. So I, I, I love being around people. And I actually care about people. But I do get drained by being around people for too long or just from, you know, difficult situations. And so oftentimes... After, you know, uh, a particular amount of heavy socializing, what I really want to do is I want to go sit on the couch and do nothing. The problem with sitting on the couch and doing nothing is that if I look at my calendar, sometimes we have places to be that involve more people. And that's difficult because sometimes... I don't want to go to that place that involves more people. Over the years, that place ended up being my small group meetings. Has anybody ever been in that situation before? I know you're not going to raise your hand and admit it, but I saw your heads nodding. You know, sometimes, yeah, life, you go through things and, uh, and you're around people that go through things and, and, and you're, you're taking on all that the world has to throw at you. And the last thing that you have the energy for, it feels like, 
as more folks. And then you end up realizing, I shouldn't get out of going to this thing, so I go. And then on the drive home, do you guys ever do the debrief after you're with friends or small groups or, or anything like that? We do. We always have. And you're driving back and you're like, that was really good to be around those people. Even though an hour before we went, I said I didn't want to be there. And that kind of happens with me too frequently. And I think the reason for that is, is that I always have to feel like I've got to be on. Does, does anyone know what that's like to have to be on? Like you've got to have a smile and you've got to have some pep in your step and you've got to be able to engage and your head cannot go in the clouds because people will immediately know that you're not listening to them. Trust me, I have people in my life that know when I'm not listening to them. I'm not going to name any names. <laughs> I just let it sit there so you can... Anyway, um, the thing is, uh, it, it's, it's hard to, to do that. I was texting with my friend Craig recently, and I was checking in on him. I want to see how he was doing, and he's been really, really busy at work, and Craig is a, a children's and family counselor. Um, and Craig, unlike me, registers as an extrovert. Like, if you meet Craig, he's immediately your friend in your first two minutes of interaction with him. And it's not fake. He's just really, really good with people. Um, but he's also a human being, too. So he, he, he and I were texting, and he was telling me about just the stressors at work. And he threw something in there, and he goes, he goes, my wife has been telling me uh, that I need to be okay with not being okay all the time. And he said, I've been embracing that, and it's been helping me. And I was like, man, that's really good. Because I have told people that advice before, <clears throat> and I'm not good at following it myself. It's okay to not be okay. And the thing is, trying to be on and being okay with not being okay oftentimes create conflict. Because sometimes you don't feel like you've got the smile. Sometimes life feels like it's not dealing you a good hand. And trust me, I know that. I, I meet with people regularly and I, I, I get to hear and be with people in the struggles of their life. And I know that sometimes people in front of me are not okay. And if you've been with us in this series called Silence, as we've been studying the book of Habakkuk, you'll know that Habakkuk is in dialogue with God in a season where he and the circumstances around him are not okay. They're not okay. In the first chapter, we find out from Habakkuk that uh, that basically uh, the people around him are deviating from God's will. It's creating a mess in, uh, in and amongst his people. And he's wondering why God isn't dealing harshly with this to course correct them. And then when God responds to him and tells him what he's going to do, which is to bring the Babylonians in to bring judgment and correction on them, he's not happy with that answer because that means that God is going to do something to rectify the situation that for him is going to make things 
continue to be not okay. I don't know if you know this, but exile to Babylon, not okay. Not going to be good. And so Habakkuk is wrestling with this, and he not only wrestles with it, but he remains in dialogue with God, and he's wrestling with it verbally out in the open. And as, as we look at uh, the whole book, we see Habakkuk uh, tell stories about who God is and who God has been in the past and, and how he knows what God has done to come through for the people. And he says, I, I want, I, God, I want you to revive that. What happened before, I want it back. Because if you do that, then things will be okay. And I long for things to be okay. And so, by the time we get into chapter 3, Habakkuk in his, uh, in his uh, prayer, well, more his song, and as we learned last week, by the way, um, even though <laughs> the earth should be silent before God, Habakkuk then decides to sing his prayer. We, we find that he, in his song, has relented a bit. He's come to terms. He's, he's embraced acceptance. That the way that things are and the way that God has said they will be, meaning the Babylonians coming in and being the arm of judgment in the moment, they are going to come to pass and there's nothing Habakkuk can do at this point to change it. And so we see in that song that he trends toward acceptance. And if you're here last week, I mentioned that I was saving the last three verses of his song for its own separate moment. Because while the idea that we're going to see in these three verses is kind of simple to grasp, I hope it's simple to grasp, oftentimes the things that are most simple to grasp and understand conceptually are the hardest things to do Proactively. Saying that we are going to have joy despite circumstances and rely on God's strength to get us through life is theologically astute and it is the only good and right way to go in life. But if you're a human being and an honest one, you will know that it is not easy in a world that is not easy to live in. And so I want us to look at these three verses in Habakkuk that close out the book. There's my mark right there. And I just want us to sit with what he actually says. And I hope that maybe as you read along that you not only capture the imagery, the very practical imagery that he articulates in these verses, but I actually, you're not going to hear a preacher say this often, I want you to let your mind wander and imagine what your equivalent to the things that he is accepting would be in your own life. I'll give you a really stupid example. I like to get Starbucks on Sunday morning. It's my little treat on the way in. 
Also because I don't want to take time to mess with the coffee pot when I need to get into the office earlier to sit with my thoughts and, and to pray and to do all that stuff and to lean in. So I allow myself a Sunday morning Starbucks treat. And this morning I pulled up the app and my closest to home location said that they're not taking mobile orders. And I was really down about that. So I drove to the next closest one and I got over it really fast. But I use that example because it's a small and again a bit stupid. It's a first world problem as they say. But that little hint of disappointment that you had an expectation that you wanted something in the moment and it wasn't there literally at your fingertips to get. I want you to imagine what those moments are as you hear those from the mind of Habakkuk. And then after you've let your mind wander and you've read through this verses, I want you to hear what he does or what he chooses to do despite those things. So we're going to start at verse 17 here. Habakkuk says in chapter 3, verse 17, Though the fig tree does not blossom, and no fruit is on the vines, though the produce of the olive fails, and the fields yield no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold, and there is no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exalt in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and makes me tread upon the heights. And then it concludes to the leader with stringed instruments. So not only did Habakkuk sing chapter 3, this became not only his song, but the song of a people choosing this way of responding to God. Now I want to step back for a moment. In these first or in this first verse here, though the fig tree does not blossom and no fruit is on the vines. Are you familiar in the gospels that on their way to Jerusalem that Jesus stops and he wants to get a fig from a fig tree and the fig tree doesn't have any good fruit to eat? Do you remember what Jesus does to the fig tree? He curses it. And the next time they come by that tree, it's done. That is what being hangry is. For Habakkuk, he sees the fig tree, but there's no blossom, there's no fruit on the vines. He's longing for fruit, but the source is destitute. Not a good day when you're hungry and there's no food available. It goes on, the, the produce of the olive fails and the fields yield, yield no food. Not only is it a bad day when you're hungry and you can't find food, but when you're in this world that is largely agrarian, it is largely built on farming and working the land to yield crops, to raise up animals, and to make ends meet with those things. If you look upon the field and it is not producing, you're not only hungry today, but you should plan on being hungry tomorrow and the next week and the next month 
in the next year. Because you have no way to sustain your way of life. He goes on. The flock is cut off from the fold, and there is no herd in the stalls. The ability to have animals for food, to help produce food, to help with the work of producing is barren. Imagine, as you're reading this, what your equivalent is to Habakkuk looking at his circumstances and concluding that my day, my week, my month, and my year are not going the way that I'd like them to go. That I don't have what I need. That I don't have what I want. That I'm not sure that it's going to get better in the coming days because of the destitute nature that I'm facing right here and right now. How does that make you feel? And I, I know that we all go through seasons like this where we look around and we don't know when things will get better, when we're going to feel better, and when it's going to be okay to be okay again. And that's where Habakkuk is at. And if you've been studying through this book with us, it's a hard one to stomach. Because no matter which way he slices it, things are not going to be good for a while. So what do you do in that situation? Well, it's what Habakkuk chooses to declare that is awe-inspiring and puzzling all at the same time. Because after all of this, he says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and makes me tread upon the heights. I, I, I want to throw this phrase that I want us to think about, uh, about joy and about strengthening the Lord up here on the screen real quickly. Joy beyond circumstances, strength in God alone, is what Habakkuk is declaring. Joy beyond circumstances, because the circumstances that he's facing are not ones that would typically produce joy in any of us. Those of us that are in challenging circumstances are probably not happy and thrilled to be in them. We would rather have happy days. But not only that, he declares strength in God alone. Or to put it back in the words of Scripture, God the Lord is my strength. And I love the imagery he gives. It says, He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and makes me tread upon the heights. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever been runners. I know, I know Nick Reidenauer is. He's talked about it before. I used to be one. I don't, I'm not going to pretend like I still am. I wish that I was. I'm finding that at 40, I am really slow. I wasn't ever fast in the first place. But the point is, I was a runner long enough to know that when you're plodding along and you're just going and going and going, if you keep going long enough and you fight the urge to quit, 
you eventually hit this point of euphoria. People refer to it as the runner's high. And all of a sudden, all of that mental and physical anguish, at least for a brief moment, subsides, and you feel like you could run a marathon. Unfortunately, if you're running a long distance, you find out quickly that you can't run a marathon when you've already been running a long distance, unless you're a marathon runner, which good on you for being able to do that. But for a brief moment, you have this feeling that you can keep going. Now, I told you before, one of my, one of my biggest uh, kind of faults is that I am one of those people that because I'm an introvert, I tend to look at the calendar and realize we've got to go be somewhere with groups of people, even people that I love to be around, and I just don't feel like I have the energy to be present with them. But then, after the fact, I end up glad that I went. And it's a peculiar feeling. Why was it that it changed for me? Why was it that I went from being someone that didn't want to be there to I'm glad that I did? Well, the reason is, is because when you have people in your life that are like a refuge to you, you may feel walking in like you don't have the energy to give to the relational circumstance. But it turns out that just by virtue of being around people that are okay with you not being okay, that you don't have to be on that you can figuratively let your hair down. I say figuratively because I don't have any hair to let down. That, that you can admit that you had a rough day. That you cannot wear a fake smile. That you can laugh at the absurd. Suddenly, when you're around that group of people that gives life to you, all of a sudden... You have a pep in your step. You feel like, I could have been there longer. In fact, I can go to another meeting with another group of people right now because I was around people that gave life to me. <laughs> Habakkuk is facing the worst circumstances imaginable. His people are facing sudden doom. And he doesn't want to have to live and survive by the skin of his teeth to get through it. So he goes to the only source that he knows that can give him life when he feels like life is completely sapped. And who's the source? It's God. God alone gives him strength and allows him to experience joy beyond circumstances. And I, I love using this word joy instead of happiness because to quote Bob Dylan, who was also quoted by the band Switchfoot, happy is a yuppie word. It kind of sounds hollow. It's a fleeting feeling. Joy is different because joy, joy is something that we can experience. It's contentment. It's something that can go above the fray of your life circumstances. But here's the kicker. For those of us that are believers, that joy and that strength can only be found in God. He's the only one 
that you feel like you're plodding through life, like you can't take another step. And then after being in his midst, suddenly you feel like you have the feet of a deer that can scale heights. You ever seen a deer just run and gallop and even like kind of jump and stuff? Like that's, you, you go from feeling like you're walking in concrete to being able to run. It's like a runner's high on speed because it's a deer. I don't know. This is really bad imagery here. The Bible imagery is good. I don't know about that. Anyway, but you get the point. Now that sounds really, really good, right? We all want this sense of vigor and strength and thriving that only God can give. But the problem is that, that too often... The way we think of God is kind of like forgetting the people in your life that give you life and that they're capable of giving you life because your life is so difficult that you don't think you can spend another moment around people. And when we do that with God, we end up in a really precarious situation because we end up not wanting to go to the one that can give us strength and can give us joy to overcome the hardship. And when we choose not to go to God, it puts us in a precarious situation of choosing other lesser means to receive joy and strength. We turn to other power figures, other vices. We turn to things that we think will give us life, and they may give us a momentary hit of dopamine, but it will not last, and it will not take you above the fray that you're in, like God will. But it gets even better. Because the thing about God is he's always got a plan. One of my favorite stories is in the book of Acts. And it's at the end of chapter 2. I'm not going to put it on the screen, but I am going to read it in just a moment. Because the early church, after Jesus was raised from the dead, I don't know if you, you recall, but when Jesus was arrested, his followers, his disciples, they all scattered. You want to talk about bad circumstances? When the guy you think is the Messiah and you think they're going to like lead the charge to bring peace and prosperity ends up arrested and tried and put on a Roman torture device, you start to rethink whether or not that person was who you thought they were. And that's what Jesus' 12 did. Well, I should say 11, because one of them made that decision before he was even arrested and helped lead to his arrest. But the other 11, they scattered. In the Gospels, there's actually a, a story that one of them ran so fast that he practically ran without any clothes on. He was the world's first streaker. He was so scared that he didn't think to cover himself up. He needed to get out of Dodge because the situation was so bad. That's how quickly the disciples abandoned Jesus when they realized he wasn't 
the kind of Messiah they hoped that he would be. But God did not leave him dead in the tomb. He raised him on the third day. And you know where Jesus appeared to those those scaredy cats that went running? Well, he appeared to them when they were in hiding in a room that they often went to. Why would they be in hiding, you ask? Well, because circumstances are not good if you're around a would-be Messiah that the Romans crucify because they're not a big fan of other people being in power over them. So they're going to come and find you, the adherents and followers of this would-be Messiah, and do to you what they did to him. So they hide. And Jesus shows up. And not only does he show up, but he restores those that were doubtful. And he brings joy and gladness to those that thought he was dead that are now seeing him alive. And then he makes a promise to them. He says, I'm not going to leave you here to your own devices, but I'm going to send my spirit. And in the book of Acts, the spirit is sent upon the believers that are there in the upper room. And they are given power and boldness. And Peter gets up and he preaches this really good sermon. It's better than any sermon I've ever done. And it makes an impact. Thousands come to the faith. And they become disciples of the risen Lord Jesus. And this is what Acts says after those first conversions occur. In verse 43 and following, it says, All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being being saved. I love this picture. Do you know why? Because it shows that God has a plan to give us life, both in the hereafter and in the now. He has a plan to open the way to him so that you can have joy beyond circumstances and strengthen God alone. But not only that, you could be amongst people that have experienced the same joy and the same strength that come together in that fellowship, that bond of faith. And they can be given life, life above the fray of the hardship that life often brings. That's why I use the example of me being introverted and sometimes not wanting to go around groups of people even though I know I need that and I end up being glad I was around them after the fact. Because our being around each other, people that are coming together with common bond of faith, empowered and emboldened by the same Spirit, is one way that God makes himself known, gives us joy and strength together. See, there's one little detail I haven't brought up in Habakkuk yet. 
One of the hard parts for Habakkuk is, is that when he's looking around and he's crying out to God that the people are acting in a way that's disobedient to him. Part of the problem is that Habakkuk wants to be devoted to God and he wants to be among his people that are sharing in that devotion. And he looks around and he sees no one. He sees no home. He sees no support. All he sees is being alone. And the beautiful thing about God is that God never leaves you alone. And he never, ever leaves you without community that share in that faith. I said a couple weeks ago that this year we are looking at texts throughout this year that are, are written by people that we might not always come to hear their voices. Or maybe they're, they're people that we have read a lot from, but maybe we haven't looked at these particular writings. Like, like everybody knows that Paul wrote Romans, but they might not sit very long in Second Timothy, for instance. Or they might not pay much attention to Peter and John. Or they might not pay much attention to Habakkuk or Amos. But we're looking at these voices because it's important to hear the voices that guide the people of God back to God in a world that wants to tell us that life is so bad that we cannot find any refuge in God. That we should put our hope and all of our well-being in the hands of people and things that are less than God. We have a thing coming in November that's going to tell us that story again on your TV, on your phone, in your conversations. And I want to encourage you, cancel out the noise and recognize that there is no strength that competes with the strength of God. There is no voice that can speak life into your life and the life of fellow believers like God. There is no strength that can give you joy above the fray of the hardship and circumstances that you face than God. And there is no greater community to rely on than the community of the people of God who have chosen to go this way. Just like Habakkuk. Just like the early church. And just like you and I in this room. And so while we come to the conclusion of what Habakkuk has to say, and we sit in the darkness of his life, know that his story may have been full of darkness around him. There was life that he clung to despite that. And we're going to continue to listen to those voices because they point us to God and God alone. And I encourage you to be receptive to these voices as we go through this year because there was no one that can give us life like him. I hope that you got a communion packet when you came in this morning. 
we take communion each week because we remember that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through me. And then later says, I have come to give them life, life to the full. When we take communion each week, we not only remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf, but we remember that he is the giver of life and is the reason that we come together. So I ask that you take a moment to contemplate that and to realize how strong and mighty and wonderful and graceful and merciful and just our God is. And after we take a moment to ponder that, we'll take communion together as a church family. refuge and strength. We thank you that uh, that even in hard times we can rely on you and lean on you. Even when we don't have the answers we want and even when we're not sure that the answers will suffice, we know that you are good and that you are gracious and that you will not leave us to our own devices. Pray, God, that uh, as we go about our days and as we go about this year, that you will help us to lean on you and to lean on the shoulders of one another in your church. Because we know that uh, you have a good and perfect plan and that what was good for the earliest followers of your son Jesus is good for us. Help us to not just remember it to act on it. Even when we don't feel like we have the energy, strength, and the ability, encourage us and embolden us to do it. And help us to also be the shoulders for others to lean on. So that we can give and receive and share in the love of your son, Jesus. 
pray these things in his name.